This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by the Nocturnal Readers Box. If you love horror and sci-fi or know someone who does, then listen up. As a Nocturnal Readers Box subscriber, every month you get at least two novels, one new title and one previously released title. In each monthly box, you also get a new bookmark and a custom art print created solely for those subscribed to the Nocturnal Readers Box. You'll always see seven or more items in the box every month. Subscribe before the end of this month and get the June box themed The End Is Near, featuring items inspired by Brian Keene, Joe Hill, Nick Cutter, Mary Shelley, David Wellington, and more. Also, right now, you can get an exclusive, special edition of Salem's Lot by Stephen King. Not only is this book rare, it's only available at the NocturnalReadersBox.com and will be almost impossible to find after this month. Subscribe for yourself or make it a gift for a weirdo friend. Subscribe today at TheNocturnalReadersBox.com. That's TheNocturnalReadersBox.com. Get 15% off your first six-month subscription by using the promo code WEIRD15. That's all one word, WEIRD15. Sign up at TheNocturnalReadersBox.com or click the link in the show notes. Welcome, Weirdos! This is a special Weekend Archive episode of Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you have a dark tale to tell, you can share it with me at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. And be sure to subscribe if you've not done so already so you don't miss future uploads. This week, you can save a child's life in Haiti or Guatemala for a single gift of just $50. That one-time gift of $50 will provide a full year of food and clean water for life for that child. I'll tell you more at the end of this archive podcast, or you can find out more right now by clicking the Give Life banner at WeirdDarkness.com or click the link in the show notes. Now, bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the archives of Weird Darkness. On the night of March 21, 1973, the sound of sirens filled the air along New Paug Road, not far from Alton and Wood River, Illinois. By the time the fire engines reached the house once known as the Hartford Castle, it was much too late. What time and vandals had not been able to destroy, flames finally did. A house that was once connected to local tales of death prohibition, booze, and ghosts was gone, leaving only a legend behind. Lakeview, as the Hartford Castle was officially known, was constructed by a French immigrant named Benjamin Bizant in 1897. The castle-like house with the red-capped turrets was incredibly expensive, although the source of Bizant's wealth remains unknown. Most believe that he may have been an insurance executive, a contractor, or an investor of some sort. Whatever his profession, 
he purchased a large section of land near Hartford and began construction on what was to be a dream house for his English bride. Teams of workers with horses were brought in and a moat was excavated around what would be the home site. The soil that was removed from it formed a rise on which Lakeview was built. When the house was completed, it boasted turrets that loomed high above the surrounding countryside and 14 rooms. The floors were made of imported cypress wood and the ceilings supported by hand-carved columns. Crystal chandeliers were used in the mirror-lined main hall, and music could often be heard drifting out over the fields in the evening. The landscaped gardens were decorated with gazebos and statuary, and Bizant scattered his own concrete creations of animals and cannons about the grounds. A stone bridge was built to reach an island in the middle of one of the small lakes that adjoined the moat, and the lakes were used for boating and swimming. Bizant stocked them with goldfish. Tragically, though, Bizant's wife died in the early 1900s and he returned her body to England. After that, he lost interest in the castle and sold it before moving to California. Not long after, the ghost stories that became attached to the place began to be told. According to these tales, the lingering spirit was that of the Frenchman's wife, still haunting the place that she loved most in life. The ghost stories became a part of the house, and they continued to be heard for years after, through various owners and even now, long after the house has been destroyed. The castle passed through the hands of several owners after Bizant sold it and was rumored to have been used at one time as a boys' military school and later as a home for unwed mothers. Neither of these uses were ever verified. In the early 1920s, it was turned into a resort and during this period was believed to have been operated for a time as a speakeasy. The house was not far enough off the main roads that it could not be found and yet was secluded enough that the partygoers and gangsters who flocked to the place were not bothered. If the speakeasy stories were true, those days did not last long and the resort was later closed down. Shortly after, the castle was purchased by a couple from Wood River and they lived in the house until 1964. Soon after they moved in, they began to have problems with intruders and trespassers. The castle seemed to be viewed by the public as a community property or a park, and the owners stated that people would often just roam through the 35 acres at all hours of the day and night. Some even broke into the house and wandered from room to room as if on a tour. The grounds were apparently too attractive with the landscaped gardens and statuary for people to stay away, and like the gangsters of times past, teenagers often congregated in secluded spots on the estate for clandestine beer parties or searched out the best places to serve as a lover's lane. Hoping to counteract this invasion of privacy, the family opened the grounds to the public on weekends for several years, but eventually, this practice ended and the property was again closed down. In 1964, the owner died and his wife moved back into Wood River. There were attempts to rent the house after that, 
hoping that someone would just remain on the grounds to protect it from vandalism. But this plan fell through and maintenance on the house and property ended with the owner's death. The estate began crumbling into ruin and the lawn became thick and overgrown. By 1971, the house had fallen into disrepair and was showing signs of damage from thieves and vandals. The cruelest blow came the following year when intruders gutted the residence, ripped mantles from the fireplaces, broke windows, and, using a small telephone pole as a battering ram, smashed huge holes in the plaster walls. The senseless and stupid destruction led to the house being officially condemned by county inspectors. The final blow was dealt to the castle on March 21, 1973, when it burned to the ground. An alarm was sounded, but by the time that firefighters arrived on the scene, only a tall chimney and burning embers remained of the once grand mansion. The site of the former castle can still be found in a cluster of thick woods and brambles, just off New Pogue Road on the other side of Hartford. Only those who know of the place would have any clue that the ruins of the estate still remain as broken columns, a few pieces of shattered statuary, and the dim outline of the castle's moat. This is a place that has been truly lost by time, and one that, according to legend, remains haunted by the Frenchman's wife even today. There are those who maintain that her spectral form can still be seen wandering through the remains of the estate and that her voice can still be heard as she weeps for the life and the wonderful home that she lost. Others insist that old-time music can still sometimes be heard as well. They say that it floats through the trees and above the fields on summer nights when the crops are tall and when sound seems to carry for miles. Perhaps in another time and place, Lakeview still stands and the party still continues, beckoning to all of us from a distant memory that is now long since forgotten. Old houses and ancient crumbling castles are not the only places where ghosts have been reported. Over the years, there have also been many cases of spirits haunting major department stores and even corner shops. As webmaster of the True Ghost Stories site, trueghoststories.co.uk, I personally can relate some quite spooky incidents where apparently ghostly activity has been experienced in a shop. A few years ago, my mom worked in a confectioner's in Birkenhead. With it being a very old shop, it was said to have a resident ghost. My mom soon found out that the stories were true. One day, when she was serving in the shop, two old ladies came in and they walked up to the end of the counter to look at the cakes on display. My mom was at the other end at the till. On top of the counter was a large straw tray which was used to display packets of batches. As the other assistant was taking hot pastries out of the oven, my mom had just finished serving a customer and was putting the money into the till when suddenly, without any visible cause whatsoever, the tray got lifted up off the counter and thrown at her shoulder. 
The tray then crashed to the floor and all the packets of batches fell onto the floor. The two old ladies that were in the shop looked on in utter shock and disbelief and declared that it wasn't them as they were standing at the other end of the shop. Furthermore, my mom's work colleague said that she too had witnessed what had happened and shook her head in disbelief also. My mom had no explanation for this strange incident, but it was just one of many more incidents she experienced in the shop, including serviettes flying around in the air after they had all been neatly put in the window, crisp packets getting dropped on the floor on their own, and different items mysteriously going missing. One of the creepiest incidents in this cake shop happened to the manageress, who told the story to my mom. She used to go to the shop early in the morning to prepare everything for her opening at 9 o'clock. As she was putting the trays of cakes into the racks, ready to put on small trays later, she had a feeling she was being watched. She looked over her shoulder, and there, standing in the doorway of the shop, was a tall, handsome young man dressed in a boiler suit, and he just stood there, staring at her silently. Her immediate thought was that it was a customer, so she told him to hang on a minute while she finished putting the cakes into the racks. When she turned back around a few seconds later, the man had vanished. She then went cold as she realized something. How could this man possibly have entered the shop when the door was locked? Thinking that he might have gained access through the back entry, she went out there to check but discovered that the padlocks were all still on the door. Again, she could not explain this incident and therefore decided that it must have been a spirit. The Toys R Us store in Sunnyvale, California has a long history of being haunted by a ghost called Johnny Johnston, said to be a disappointed lover who bled to death after a farm accident, and store workers have reported seeing strange things happening, such as rag dolls and toy trucks leaping off shelves balls bouncing down the aisles, children's books falling out of racks, and baby swings moving on their own. The shop's staff have tried to find a logical explanation for all these incidents, but just can't. The store has been featured on the TV show That's Incredible and other programs. A Hollywood scriptwriter for the movie Toys spent two nights there doing research. Psychic Sylvia Brown held a seance in the store in 1978 and has since been back a few times. An Asda store in Patheli is said to be haunted by the ghost of a long-haired man in a trench coat. The apparition has often been seen by staff in various parts of the store. The Marks & Spencer store in Church Street, Liverpool is said to be haunted by the ghost of a woman from the 1930s called Lulu. This often appears on the top floors of the store, and she carries a soda siphon, which she has occasionally squirted at people. The other ghost said to haunt the store is that of a man called Billy McMullen, a 22-year-old junior porter who suffered a tragic, violent death at the Compton Hotel, the building that once occupied the site, in March 1877 after fooling around in the hotel's lift. Another Liverpool retail site, which has garnered something of a reputation for ghostly activity, is the old Owen Owen Building, 
which now houses Tesco Metro. Back in the 1970s, an Owen Owen female sales assistant saw a tall, distinguished-looking gentleman dressed in Victorian clothing as she worked in an upstairs room. In another incident, a young man serving in one of the departments saw and felt a hand on his shoulder. As he turned around, he was shocked to see that the hand had no arm or body attached. A customer also witnessed this eerie apparition. When a medium visited the Owen Owen store soon after it closed, she determined that there were at least seven spirits haunting the building, all from different eras. A security guard also had a strange experience whilst working there during a refurbishment prior to occupation by another firm. He soon discovered the place was haunted when he did his rounds. On one occasion, the security officer found a strange pair of scissors lying on the floor, and when he examined them, they looked blackened and quite old. He put them in his rucksack, but the next morning when he reached home the scissors had mysteriously vanished. The guard and some of his workmates used the Ouija board at the haunted building one night, and a word that the men didn't understand came through. Gorsuk. The guards laughed at the word. They didn't know that in the 19th century, a barber named John Gorsuk had his premises on Parker Street. This would probably explain the scissors that had appeared in the building. In Hereford, there have been quite a few retail stores where ghostly activity has been witnessed. For instance, at the Sainsbury's store, a very modern building which as such would be the last place you would expect to be haunted, the ghost of an old lady has been seen many times by staff. She does a lot of waving and smiling at people. One morning at 4 a.m., a member of the staff came in to open the store, and he saw the old lady as he was unlocking the fire exits. The old lady was standing there waving at him, her appearance so clear that the man waved back, thinking it was a customer, only to suddenly realize that it was 4 a.m. in the morning and no one was in there shopping. When the man approached the lady to ask her to leave the store, she simply disappeared into thin air. A similar story was when the manager once saw the old lady in the periphery of her vision. The manager asked her to go and do something under the misconception that it was just a member of the staff. After this, a member of staff popped her head around the corner and asked the manager who she was speaking to. The manager looked to where she saw the old lady, only to find that she had vanished. The staff who work in Sainsbury's say there is a presence and a feeling of being watched. However, the ghost does seem to be a nice, friendly spirit. Sainsbury's supermarket was built on the old Barton Railway Station. In 1934, a G.V. Bennett was in charge. The station was used for goods as well. The Boots store, situated on Hereford's High Street, has some ghost stories that are very creepy. One evening, when the shop was empty, somebody saw a dark figure in the basement. On another occasion, there were two members of staff in the building, and they witnessed the fire drill being set off by unseen hands. The store was checked immediately, but no one else was present in the building at the time of the incident. 
If ghostly activity is really behind these incidents, then it is not surprising, as the building has been around for many years and has had different uses. In 1879, this building was two different shops. A Thomas Frederick Hawkins was a printer and stationer, and a Mrs. Harriet Reeves was a watchmaker. The place was also occupied by Marks and Spencer in 1934. The Primark store, situated on Herford's busy Widemarsh Street, has crowds of customers shopping there daily. But for a building that is so modern, it really is surprising to find a ghost story and so much history here. The building is known to stand on the site of where the Black Swan Hotel previously was. A graveyard previously occupied the site before the Black Swan was built. The store itself is very large, and the front of the shop is said to be the oldest part. The old co-op store was previously at this part of the building. Above is the stockroom and cash office, and it is these two rooms that the ghost of a smartly dressed man has been seen wandering around on numerous occasions. The staff has christened him Freddy, and he has been sighted wearing a blue shirt and trousers. One member of staff who had a first-hand account of the ghost was so upset and traumatized by her encounter that she left her job altogether. It is also believed that this ghostly man travels through the shops next to Primark. The Paperway Shop, which is one shop down, also has a ghostly man who occasionally visits, and he is seen wearing the same clothing. The man could be from the old co-op store as the staff uniform was blue. The dress shop, one door away from Primark on the left, also has a ghost of a man in the basement, so it could be that the same ghost is traveling in between all three of these shops. When the site was the Black Swan Hotel, it had a reputation of being one of the city's best pubs, and coaches left the inn daily, traveling to Liverpool. In 1834, the inn had many landlords over its duration. Thomas Jones was vigiler in 1822, and in 1909 a Thomas Owen was head of the inn. The Black Swan also had air raid shelters provided in the basement. Thornton's Chocolate Shop in Eastgate Street, Chester, is said to be haunted by a ghost called Sarah, who hung herself after being jilted on her wedding day. Sarah wreaks most of the unearthly havoc in the top front room and in the cellar. However, her ghost has also manifested in other parts of the shop. Although she is never seen, she has been heard coming down the stairs, singing a strange song and holding out her hands, as if lifting up a long dress to facilitate her descent. She once pushed an American tourist down the stairs. She also frightened an electrician who came to read the meter in the cellar. During Valentine's Day 1991, Sarah got upset over the display in the shop and scattered the heart-shaped boxes of chocolate all over the floor. However, the ordinary boxes of chocolates were left undisturbed. An exorcism held in 1965 dispelled Sarah's poltergeist-like antics for a while. However, she has apparently returned and still creates ghostly disturbances in the shop right to this day.
keep listening, there's more weird darkness to come. People often ask me how I get everything done with as busy as I am. Two podcasts, working full-time for a radio station, running my voiceover business, narrating YouTube channels other than my own, being a Chicago actor. I do love being busy, but none of this would be possible if not for a couple of things. One, getting a good night's sleep, and two, having energy and focus during my waking hours. The latter one I accomplished with something I discovered a few months ago called Dawn to Dusk, which you can find at BrickHouseWeird.com. I take two Dawn to Dusk capsules right after lunch and suddenly I have energy and focus for the rest of the day. And with Dawn to Dusk, I don't get that afternoon crash I used to get with coffee and energy drinks. I'm not exaggerating when I say it has made a life-changing difference for me. I was so impressed with the product, I actually pursued them to be sponsors of my podcast. You can try Dawn to Dusk for yourself by visiting BrickHouseWeird.com. That's BrickHouseWeird.com. If you use the promo code WEIRD, you can also get 10% off anything you buy on their website. Give it a try. Dawn to Dusk at BrickHouseWeird.com. I had the pleasure of talking to my 125-year-old great-granduncle back at Thanksgiving, and as is the usual interest, I asked him if he knew any old town legends from before my generation and even yours was alive. He was alive before Puerto Rico became a commonwealth and before Americanization took route. The scary fact of the matter is, one of the stories he told I actually experienced, which is the legend I will be telling you in a few moments. After telling the legend, I will give my personal experiences related to it. Legend tells that when the sun dies down over the horizon, when the cerulean sky turns a black ebony and the late night mist rolls over the hillsides, that one should not wander too far from their home or go outside when you live in the rural wilds. For at late hours, when all are meant to be asleep, ghostly howling can be heard in the hills and woods late at night. Many do not attribute this to normal dogs or wolves, because wolves do not exist on the island, and dogs do not howl so mournfully or ghostly as these skin-crawling and blood-curdling echoes. If you hear these howls, be they far or near, know that outside could be Los Perros de la Cruces. In English, it translates to Black Hounds of the Crosses, a pack of ghostly demon hounds with glowing yellow and fiery eyes that around their necks drag along heavy, rusted and broken off chains. They are said to have been the faithful hounds of a shepherd who had died of the Black Death when it ravaged the island some centuries ago. When they laid him in his grave, the hounds were chained to trees at the edge of the cemeteries and were never allowed off the chain. They constantly pulled and pulled, trying to visit their master, releasing unholy and mournful howls all day and all night, non-stop it would keep the surrounding countryside up easily and this situation continued until one day when the howling stopped 
and the townsfolk that went to see what is wrong saw an eerie sight. Their chains were all found snapped, but the dogs found dead on the shepherd's grave. Though they were gone, the howling continued soon after their deaths. Every night, those who drove by the cemetery could see black hounds staring at them from the cemetery gates, and this continued for over a century until, one day, the town was expanding, and to make room for the residential areas, the bodies were moved to a new site, marked with simple stones high in the mountains where they would not be disturbed. It is said that in moving the bodies, the hounds lost their master, and every night they prowl the countryside searching for the shepherd's lost grave, howling in pain, loss, and rabid anger for those who wander alone at night. They prowl near churchyards, graveyards, and bridges as well, some saying they attack the evil-hearted who possess too much malice. The only trace they leave are footprints burned into the ground or wherever they touch reeking of incense and something sulfur. A good way to ward them off, supposedly, is to place a stick by the door. This resembles the cane of a shepherd and is likely to make the hounds keep quiet and stay away. But make no mistake, at night, when you hear those howls haunt the town of Yako like banshees wailing their grief into the late night hours, make no mistake that they are near, ever searching for their lost master and prowling in the shadows of the evening seeking whom to devour. I did not know of this story until my great-grand-uncle told me of it, but years before I had experienced the black hounds of the crosses for myself. I had experienced them firsthand, for I live in a remote house deep in my own neck of the woods where trees are so high and dense moonlight cannot even hope to peer through at night. I was alone at home that deceptively peaceful evening my mother had gone to take my brother to basketball practice, and I refused to go because I did not like sports, and so I just stayed doing my homework. The night was quiet, not a single cricket could be heard, and the wind itself grew deathly still. It was an all-encompassing silence that I would have described as too quiet, the kind of silence that was reserved for a graveyard or a funeral. I felt uneasy, though tried to distract myself from the gut feeling of something being completely off by getting back to my work. My stomach went into knots despite how hard I tried to ignore it and keep working and eventually I finished all of my homework and was going to take a bath and go to sleep afterward. But that's when I heard it. A howl. There was just one at first. Unearthly in tone. Then came many, many more. Like no dogs I had ever heard, the echoing pierced my very soul in blood-curdling fashion. I could hear much movement outside and the rattling of rusty and old chains hitting the ground at high speed. Curiosity beckoned to me and so I steeled myself for but a moment in order to do something I would later regret for much time afterward. I edged my way to open the door and hesitantly I peered it open and looked outside, and I saw it, 
glowing yellow eyes and heard the sound of rattling chains. A hound lunged violently at my door, which thank goodness was made of solid steel. I woke from my momentary daze brought on by my surprise and shut the door immediately and ran as fast as I could to lock all my doors. Then I grabbed a bat from the storage room at the back of my house and was then on my guard. I shuddered and tried to lay still as possible so as to not be heard when the beasts suddenly started tackling the doors and walls of my house, an action not shared by any dog or canine I have ever seen. The bangs, howls, and rattling was so loud I covered my ears because it caused me such discomfort and just prayed for it to all be over. Slowly, ever so slowly, the tackling stopped, but the rattling and the howling was still present. After a bit, I heard the howling move very far away, but still audible, and I saw light pull up by my house. My mom had arrived, and I ran out and pushed her and my brother inside as fast as I could and explained all the events that occurred earlier that evening. They thought I had a vivid imagination and that I was just really stressed out, but I still locked the doors and called the police in a panic. Only the next couple hours when the police arrived did my mother take to actually believe my story. For around the house, in enormous sizes, they found dog tracks around the perimeter of the house and dents in the doors covered with claw marks and teeth indentations. But they did not smell of mud nor of anything normal. But when you got close to the tracks or the marks on the doors, it was found that they smelled strongly of ash and sage incense. For those who've been listening to Weird Darkness since it began in 2015, you know that twice a year I take a week out and ask you to join me in saving lives. Well, This week, you can save a child's life in Haiti or Guatemala for a single gift of just $50. That one-time gift of $50 through Food for the Poor will provide a full year of food and clean water for life for that child as it gives them the resources to filter the water for drinking. If you'd like to do more, a one-time gift of $250 will provide all of that for an entire family. I've supported Food for the Poor for several years now because I believe in what they do, and now I hope you will too. You can give online by clicking the Give Life banner at WeirdDarkness.com or click the link in the show notes. If you'd rather give by phone, you can call 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-HOPE. Or on your mobile phone, you can dial pound 250 and say the keyword donate. Please make that one-time gift of $50 this week and bring them food, clean water, and most of all, hope and life. And thank you. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Fact or fiction, you can share your story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. Find links to this episode's stories in the show notes. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the archives of Weird Darkness.